we're going to do this in 20 minutes. That's what I'm hoping. I'm going to dispense with pleasantries, aside from welcome. I have been known to be direct. You're going to get extra direct today. We are going to go right into this. I haven't even told where I'm preaching from. I'm going to be preaching from Exodus 23. I'm going to give you a little bit of context. We are here in this new facility. Clayton preached about Joshua many times, pointing towards this time. He spent a lot of time unpacking Joshua, particularly chapter 3. I encourage you to go listen to it if you can. But we're here. And there's a change. Because we were, you could say, an itinerant community. And now we're going to be a possessing community. About 14 years ago, the first sermon I ever preached was from Exodus 23. And it's about possessing the land. That took an hour. That was my first preach. That was a little bit verbose. I actually had this misguided notion to preach the same thing. Not going to do that. A lot of people say that oftentimes the first sermon you preach gives an indication of sort of how you're wired because you put a lot into that thinking about what's important to you. And it is important to me. But for whatever reason, in the 14 years since, I never revisited that until today. So this is part two of my series on possession. And there is probably only a handful of you out there that have heard the first version. Benjamin was there, but he was in a little car carrying seat. So. so part two of possession. As I said, this is from Exodus 23. I'm going to read from the NIV, and I'm going to particularly go through verses 20 to 30. And I'm going to go through them in order and just talk to you about some of the things that I think are relevant to us today, particularly today, even all that we've actually experienced this morning already in the hour and 12 minutes that we've been going. But the context, of course, as I said, this is God's word to the Israelites as they were preparing to go into the land. It was kind of a big deal because they had been wandering, and the parallel to our community here is to various degrees we were wandering, but we're here now. And it does require a shift in thinking, and I want to talk to you about that today and some of the implications of that. Let's get into it. Verse 20, C, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. A couple of notes. I'm just going to read through this line by line, make some notes. You're going to see the context, which just as a side note, I encourage you, whenever you read the word, context is important. It is important. I don't often do this but I do this not infrequently, which is let's just go through a passage of scripture and let's talk about it. It's there for a reason. The order is there for the reason. The context is important. See, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. He's gone before us. In the Christian church, you've heard the word favor. Favor. Everybody wants favor. Everybody says, how do I get the favor of God? I've preached on that. It's important. But the picture of favor is he has gone before you to bring you to the place that you need to get to. The provision you need, he's prepared that for you to get you to the place that you need. He knows beforehand what you're going to experience, what you're going to encounter, what need you're going to face. In the journey that you go through, such as the journey that we've had, he sees every challenge that is to come, every need that arises, He's not caught by surprise. 
We might be. Because in every situation that matters, everything that you're battling for something of significance, you will often find yourself in the situation that questions will arise of how is this going to work? You are caught by surprise, he has not. Keep that as part of your perspective. He's prepared it. It's a place that he has prepared. This is one of the most significant issues, I think, that plagues people today in the Christian church. I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about you. He has prepared something for you to possess, to do, to accomplish, to be. Of that you can be sure. And the threshold question becomes, in most people that struggle, is this place for me? Because that's what the Israelites struggled with. And they ultimately, we know the story, they ultimately did not enter because of unbelief. What did they not believe? They did not believe that this place was actually for them and that he had prepared a place and gone ahead of them to actually allow them to enter. Verse 21, pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. A couple of things I wanted to point out just out of this verse. Three little phrases or words. Pay attention. Listen. Do not rebel. Each of those things are called choices. You have a choice. If you have kids, you know these choices are often not met with the best response. Pay attention. Listen. Do not rebel. So out of these choices, there's something that we need to understand if we're going to get anywhere in this thing called the Christian life. Who has the prerogative? They are your choices, but does God have a prerogative here, in our midst, here, today, ongoing, every day? Because I have choices, and in my misguided notion, I can actually call them rights and entitlements. They're not. They are choices, but there's one who has a prerogative here, and you know who I'm talking about. Is God really in charge here? This is unfortunately something that's got lost in translation in my time as a believer. Why? Let me explain. I grew up in the church, in an evangelical type of church, not atypical to what many of you probably experienced. In the children's church, there was a graphic that my parents used. It was a very plain graphic. There was a, an outline of you, a person, and there was a thing called a throne in the silhouette of a person. And the story of salvation was actually very easy. Prior to salvation, you were on that throne. And salvation, indeed, there are consequences of sin. There are things that he does as our Savior. But the simplest understanding of salvation was there was a new one on the throne. I was displaced, and he is now on the throne. In Acts, in the first sermon that was preached, there's two distinctive things that were stated about Jesus. He is both Lord and Christ. We get the Savior part, the Lord part, not so much. Let's bear that in mind. Verse 22, if 
You listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say. I will be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. Couple of notes. The if is a condition, if you listen, but there's also another condition, and do. It's easy to hear it, because I'm explaining it to you right now. It's a whole different proposition to do the word. We have enemies, as was just noted during the time of worship. We need to hear him, and we need to follow through. To do conquest, there's a couple of things that needs to happen. You need to know which battle to fight. There are a lot of battles, and I'm sure you have an opinion on which battle might be the most relevant one that the leadership who is under the head of the church should engage in. I appreciate the feedback. You're not in charge. To the degree I have any authority in this church as part of this eldership team, it is because we and I am part of that team are in submission to authority. My ability to carry authority is entirely dependent upon my ability to submit to authority. As I said, I am dispensing with pleasantries. You get extra direct me today. Verse 23, my angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and I will wipe them out. Saw a little bit of that today as an expression. But the thing to bear in mind is the promised land, which we believe this is our land, and in your life there is a promised land for you, and that land is occupied. It is not free for you just to move in and expect to ex exert dominion. It is occupied. And God's responsibility, as he stated, is to go ahead and begin to clear the way. But make no mistake, whatever is a promise in your life, there will be a battle because it is currently occupied. There is no such thing as a vacuum of authority in the land that you want to possess. If you think there is, you're wrong. Verse 24. Do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. Key words there, their gods, their practices. When you think of possession, there's a lot of obvious things that might come to mind in terms of battles that you would actually prefer to engage in. There are some things that seem more appealing to you in the context of warfare. And I can tell you in the time that I've had in ministry, just talking to people, I'm not going to use the word counseling, but just talking and discussing and reviewing, the thing that is harder to battle when you talk about gods and practices is worldly wisdom strongholds of thinking, traditions, all of these things are established in the land. And I can guarantee you, if you're going to possess what God has prepared for you, you will encounter this. Conventional wisdom is not your end game. And the warfare oftentimes that is engaged in, which is why belief is one of the key features of whether you enter in, 
is to actually begin to dismantle strongholds of thinking, old patterns of thinking, old expectations, fears. We're very good at that. As I know, Clayton has mentioned here, we are highly developed creatures of unbelief. And I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about the people of the world that are in your communities, that are living next to you, that are in your workplace, that not only have adopted worldly ways of thinking and worldly wisdom, but are actively trying to convince you of its truth. I tell this to my family. In a sense, you're my family, so I'm telling this to you. Somebody is always leading. And the question is, who? It's either you or the one you're speaking to. But somebody's leading, and hence, somebody is following. There was a book written by James Dobson many years ago. I read it. It was very interesting because he looked, took it as a, it was sort of a historical perspective of what he experienced in his ministry. It's called, How Now Shall We Live? And it was discussing the many facets in the culture that he had encountered that really was boiling down to secular humanism. I'm not going to repeat from the book. The point I'm making from this is that there is an active warfare for your mind. And I hope I'm not explaining or revealing something you didn't understand. There is a battle for your mind. I'm battling for your mind right now. And if I speak the truth, then the battle I wage is the right battle to wage. Now I know, I've told you before, I do this as an occupation. I battle for mind share. I battle for thought life. I battle to convince you, to persuade you. On the basis of truth, I would trust. But there is a battle for your mind ongoing right now. Every time that you have a decision to make, there is a battle for your mind. And somebody's leading and somebody's following if you're receiving advice about it. We are to live as a community lives that are distinguishable. I think you would agree with me on that. And I said somebody's leading and somebody's following in the culture and the community in which we operate. And the worst case scenario out of all of this is that you can't tell us apart. That would be, for me, as a leader in this body, the worst case scenario. That when people examined us compared to our community, whatever that happened to be, that they could see no discernible difference, which would violate one of the first principles, I think, of the kingdom, which is to be the salt of the earth. That they was distinctive. Moving on. Verse 25, I could speak about that first a while. Worship the Lord your God, and his blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you, and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. There's a lot of good stuff there. Blessing on your food and water. Take away sickness. None will miscarry or be barren. A full lifespan. That's all the stuff we want. But to some degree, the only thing that matters is the first five words. Worship the Lord your God. As Clayton so eloquently stated in the beginning of the service, that was the idea of why he took the Israelites out of captivity to worship him. All that other stuff good, he wants you to have it. Worship the Lord your God. Verse 27 
I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hittites out of your way. There are things in our way. There are squatters that need to be evicted. The land that we want is possessed currently. We need to take it. It requires strategy from him and a people willing to do. I'll leave it at that. Verse 29, but I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Verse 30, little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. I preached about in close to an hour just on that first two verses right there. That's one of the principles I live by. I'm going to tell you just something significant in about 30 seconds. What does he call you to do? Steward, increase. You personally, us as a community, us as a people, increase. To do what? To steward and manage territory. He's going to clear it out. He's not going to clear it out until we have increased enough in capacity to manage it. Why? Because if we don't, wild animals are going to roam. It is not a vacuum. Somebody is ruling in that territory. If we're not ready and have increased enough to rule over that territory, it can't be cleared yet. So what is our responsibility? To grow in capacity to rule. How does this process work? Little by little. Nobody wants to hear that. We want it now. We want it in fullness. We don't want to wait. That's unbiblical when it comes to possession. One side note about that, this little by little. Joshua was given this command, or Joshua, in a sense, fulfilled this command. The vision that God had was not Joshua's lifetime. If you were to actually, and I had it, but I don't have time. If you were to look at the territory that Joshua took and took response for and governed, that was a small part of what the ultimate vision that God had, which was partially in fulfillment, I believe, by David and Solomon. It is a process. It is little by little, but the fullness of which may not actually be experienced in your lifetime. So if it's all about you, you can see you've really limited the vision. Now, I went through that very quickly. No pleasantries, direct. But there has to be practical application. So I put three things down. And I have to admit, I was a little bit nervous about this because now it's starting to speak a little bit of vision for the church. And I am in submission to this man because he is the one that is not solely responsible, but primarily responsible for the vision of this church. So the first thing, number one, I treaded on lightly as I prepared this, so I was very heartened by what Clayton said this morning. The first thing is worship. Worship in spirit and in truth. This was the whole point. Let my people go so that they may worship me. This is our call. This is a biblical response. This is something that we adopt and we believe is one of the core values of this body that we want to see established in greater measures, in greater degrees, in greater influence here. 
Why is that significant? Aside from it being very clear by the word that this is what his entire intention was. To give you an understanding of it, I have to tell you a little bit of my personal story. I grew up in the church. My father was a pastor. So I've been in and around church. I've seen the good. I've seen the problems. Believe me, I've seen them. But I had to make a decision for my life. And the best point that I know of when I made a decision for God was when I was actually at a youth camp, and I wasn't even in the youth. I was a pre-youth, because I got to go, because my parents were part of this. And there was a call one night, as you would expect, in a youth camp, and I responded. And I wouldn't even say it was a mental decision, because the call goes out, and the next thing I know, I'm standing up and I'm walking. And I know some of you have experienced the same thing. It's a spiritual transaction. This is not me rationalizing the cost-benefit of me going up. That wasn't true. There was a call, because what does his word say? His word says, he will draw you. There is something, a transaction in the spirit, because it is a spiritual transaction of a drawing by the spirit of God that transcends what you rationally will think. So I did that. I responded. And I went up and gave my life to him. And after that, we had a time of worship. And my one distinct memory, aside of kind of just responding outside of, not I would say an out-of-body experience, but one of my distinct memories of that evening was during worship that I knew I was right with God, and it's as if I came home. There was no anxiety. There was no angst about what I should have done. The weight I had carried was gone. And to have experienced a time of worship, now coming into the kingdom, I was at peace. There was nothing tugging, and there's nothing left to do. I wasn't thinking about ministry that I had to accomplish. I wasn't thinking about anything other than the fact that he had called me out to worship him. And having actively doing that, what else is there to do at that moment in time? And the peace of God that I had, I remember distinctly having the thought, wow, he might as well come now because it's not going to get any better than this. I literally thought that. I did. One of the consequences of worship, which I believe is part and parcel of what we're called to do as a church, is to facilitate that here so that people can enter his rest. There is a rest that he promised, Hebrews 3 and 4. There is a rest that he makes available to people that they would enter. And I believe worship has an opportunity for us here is going to provide that mechanism for people to engage in worship in the way that they'll be, I'm home. There's nothing else now. It's me and my father. I am home. And that, to me, is a picture of entering his rest. We know the culture we live in. We know rest and peace are not part and parcels of the daily experience. If it was, I would see it. I don't. What I see characteristic, and this is where there's no distinction oftentimes between the church and the non-church, Anxiety rules, fear reigns, uncertainty pervasive. 
would we be a people that enters his rest, where our work is done. Lastly, in Hebrews 4, it talks about entering his rest. In Hebrews 4, there's a passage about the word. And the last component I believe that I desire to see characteristics of us here is the incisiveness of the word. Because it says in verses 12 and 13, it is living, it is active, the word. It penetrates so as to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Right, we know this. Have you ever wondered the context of this? It's about rest. See, the problem, the reason why fear and anxiety reign, that's all in the soul. The uncertainty of your future, that's all in your soul. And until the word actually penetrates to, to divide soul and spirit, the spirit cannot reign. And the word, for me personally, I know for the leadership generally, over the 15 years I've been associated with this body, is the word has power. I'm not here to deliver information to you. To the degree I have any authority in this pulpit, it is because this carries authority. The opportunity that I have today, which is to seize it, which is to have this begin to divide soul and spirit. I'm not here to deliver information. I'm not here to deliver something that goes down well. In fact, a lot of times it's not going to go down well because I'm telling you that something needs to change and this is going to dictate the change. Incisiveness of the word. So the practical applications, worship, number one, first and foremost. I loved what happened today. I just love it. A people entering his rest. And three, the incisiveness of his word. And how do you respond to this? Just to end with, I'll just give you a very quick perspective. Worship is a choice. Worship is a spiritual transaction. Worship is the end game, the goal, the way by which we live. I think if you hold on that perspective, I think you'll find worship easier to engage in. Rest. God has that for us. And God has it for all the people that you are going to come in contact with. It is not for you alone. I guarantee you, if you exhibit peace and rest in your life, people will flock to you. You can take that one with assurance. I guarantee it. Why? Because I see it. Prepare for it. The degree to which you operate out of the Sabbath rest of God is the same degree to which people will come to you and say, whatever you have, I need. Because my life as comparison to yours is nowhere in the same realm. They want that, and you can give it to them. Every single opportunity you engage with another person is your opportunity to impact them by your rest. And lastly, incisiveness of the word. There's no shoulds when it comes to the word. Because that's called religion. I hate that word. 
How do you respond to my statement about the incisiveness of the word? Just be open to him. One of my biggest fears, I shouldn't say that's probably overstating it, but a fear that I do carry is misinterpreting this. Why? Because you're listening to me. So if I misinterpret, I steer you wrong. I don't want to pay that price. But understand, the Spirit desires to bring you revelation because this is for you. This is for you. And I think if you keep that in mind, I don't think it's that hard. Because I don't think the message that he intended for you, that he's delivered to you, that he wants you to understand, somehow he's going to trip you. He's not. If you understand it's for you, then the life-changing opportunities that it provides will be there for you as well. All right, let's just stand and close. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you just for the opportunity we've had just to be with you, to spend time with you, to acknowledge you as our Lord and King. I just speak on behalf of this body. I say, Lord, you rule in this place. Your intention's always good. Your desire's made available to us by your word. And we open ourselves up to you. May you have your prerogative. May your will be done here. I thank you, Lord. Amen.